Welcome to the Broker Growth Accelerator, where we discuss how real estate brokers can accelerate their growth by improving their agent recruiting and retention. I'm your host, Jim Turner, and today we'll discuss growth tactics with our special guest, who is a subject matter expert in the industry. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Jim Turner, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of BrokerKit, and I'll be your host today. Today on the show, we're super excited to have Tyler Simmons, an experienced vet in the real estate recruiting space. Tyler, welcome to the Broker Growth Accelerator. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, let's just start out with some some background. Um, you know, how long have you been in the business, um, and how, how did you get into kind of real estate, and, and then later, how did you get into kind of the recruiting side? Really, I, I actually bought my first flip at 19, but that's taking you way back. Um, <laughs> kind of kind of was idle for a while. I did actually a handful of flips. Um, but I think my first taste of real estate, probably in the more professional level was mortgage. I got into mortgage probably. But, by the way, my, my, my first foray into real estate was a flip too, but I was 26. You started before me. There you go. Got into mortgage, I think probably around 2005. Um, did very well at it. Ended up opening up our own brokerage opened our doors, licensed in 10 states with about 40 LOs, did really well for a while. And then that small thing, 2010 hit where the entire market collapsed. We had bank lines um, that we personally guaranteed. We just got our butts handed to us. Actually racked up a ton of money with uh, the IRS and kept working on a few big deals and ended up closing probably six months after we had shut down a uh, mobile home park, a self-storage facility, and a luxury custom, and ended up paying all of our back taxes with the IRS off. So didn't see a dime of it, but probably the biggest deals I closed all at once, um, but I was thankful for that portion. I had already started actually at Zillow, so that's where I kind of went to lick my wounds and heal and um, kind of recover from that massive uh, loss. Worked there for eight years, but for the last probably four years, I worked with a, a team that really specialized in the top 1% of agents, teams primarily. Um, and that's really where I leveraged the rule to kind of dissect um, teams, how they grow, um, what made them more successful than other teams. And then from there, I went and worked for KW and ran a couple of the Seattle offices under Ben Kinney, um, about 300 loan officers. Anybody that knows anything about Keller Williams, their entire model is really based around recruiting. So that was my first taste of it. Um, although that's not really true because we did try and launch a recruiting program at Zillow. It didn't do very well, but when I landed at KW, uh, I really learned the importance of it and the flow and the process of it and how to do it well, honestly. And then I was contacted by Windermere and um, really they reached out to me and um, asked me to build a scalable recruiting system platform program to support their 300 franchise um, offices across the 10 states. That was uh, probably June of 2019, um, which brings us to, you know, whatever, almost almost four years, I guess, creeping up on four years. Um, to date, we've recruited about 400 um, agents. Um, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into on that portion of it, but that that's kind of brings us to current day. That's my experience in real estate, and that's where I'm at right now. Sure, yeah, and we'll dive in deeper, but that's a, that's a great uh, to kick us off there. 
So clearly, you know, pretty deep and uh, extensive experience with real estate and kind of the recruiting space, which is great. Um, you know, here on this podcast, we're really focused on how brokers can leverage their talent funnel versus their sales funnel to accelerate their growth and build, you know, scalability instead of going out and selling, you know, building a business, selling one house at a time. How do you build a, a scale? You know, how do you scale an actual business as a brokerage by bringing in, you know, kind of great agents that go out and sell on your behalf and, and, you know, allow you to scale that firm. So um, maybe let's, let's, you, you know, you talked about kind of like um, the size of kind of Windermere and I know you're, you're, you know, super focused on kind of growing the business there. Let's just talk about like what, I mean, how many agents does Windermere have now? What's the, what kind of like goals are there around growth? How many agents is that adding you know, on a, on a kind of monthly and, and annual basis? Like what, what does that operation kind of look like? Operation, we have about 7,000 agents uh, right now. We've, we've kind of been there consistently. I will say like one of the things I've learned through this is, especially coming from Keller Williams to, I would say more of a, a, a traditional model. Growth is really, it, it needs to be kind of in the DNA of the culture from the ground up. I think that's a big challenge, almost like tech adoption, where if you don't start out with tech, it takes agents or brokerages a really long time to adopt some type of new tech. Um, it's the same thing with um, adopting a new strategy with recruiting. Um, I think as a company, we probably recruit um, company-wide, probably, I think the last number I looked at was probably about a thousand agents uh, a year, but that's across company-wide. So, my team itself is a small portion of that, but but in reality, my team is really three people plus a couple of virtual assistants. So we're, we're cranking out 100. Um, each of them are cranking out basically 100 interviews per month per rep. Um, and so we're, we're like last month, meaning March, we just brought on 18 people. The month before that, we brought on 14. So those are considered pretty good months for us. Um, but I think as a whole, it's a very small um, portion of the overall growth from Windermere standpoint. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, we probably need to be doubling that both as a company and our own team. And I think we're slowly getting there, but it's because of that that traditional mindset where, you know, Windermere as a whole used to really only recruit like the seasoned agents. But that those seasoned agents, a lot of them are now retiring out of the business. So we're really looking to get those people that are going to be with us for the next 15, 20 years. And in my opinion, at the end of the day, it, it is a numbers game, whether it's purely the people that are going to make it in the business or to find those, um, the talent that you're looking for, the character profile that you're looking for. It, there's nothing truly sexy about what we do. We just grind, you know, it, it's a grind that almost as if, if you think about it from an agent standpoint, um, and somebody that, that grows their business from a prospecting standpoint, they got to chase those no's. And it's the same thing. Like you're picking up the phone, you're dialing for dollars, you're emailing, you're texting. And that's it at the end of the day. You kind of started to talk about what that ideal agent is and what you're looking for. But like, tell us more, like what, you know, out, out of the people you're looking for out there, what sets them apart? Like, why are you looking for them? What's the ideal agent in terms of experience, production, personality traits, you know, what, what, you know, obviously what you're most looking for is people that you can close, but also that will succeed. Yeah. What are the indicators of, of, of kind of those that you're looking for? Yeah. And, and what I'll say on that is it's completely 
um, brand specific because as you know, we are starting to do this for another brand and their profile person is totally different. And if you go back to, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but T360 um, yeah. put out kind of four models that agents can be successful in. You basically got like your networker, your marketer, your converter, and your prospector. And for Windermere's model, it's 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 a networker all day long. In fact, like if you're not a networker, if you haven't been in the area that you live in for probably at least three to five years, have a database of at least 100 people, they won't really even interview you because they're looking for those people that come in, build that relationship-based business, preferably some sales background or customer service background. But that's what, really what they're looking for is the, the networker um, frame of mind type of agent. So how do you find them? Like, what are your sources of um, kind of recruiting leads, essentially, to kind of prospect for people that fit that profile? Yeah. So ours, for me, scalability is, it is, um, and especially if you look at the amount of interviews that we're doing, it has to be very systematized and automated. So for us, um, anywhere that they come from, whether it's, um, sourcing on the DOL list, whether it's um, syndication through job boards, um, through Windermere's uh, corporate website, um, they all basically will funnel into our platform. And right out of the gate, they're going to have a very quick you know, name, email, phone number, where are you at in your career stage. From that, we'll direct them to basically what we call a quick assessment. And that quick assessment basically will have a series of about 10 different questions. And we'll actually, we rank those questions, give them a score so we can see as soon as they funnel through that, are they actually a qualified enough candidate based off of our ranking system to actually, then it will trigger based off of the score, a follow-up email and text, allowing them to schedule their interview with us. So, you know, all those things, college education, um, how long they've been in the area, you know, do you have any experience in customer service field, hospitality fields, stuff like that, all those things combined. And if, and if they're close, you know, obviously it will be used for our own judgment if there's other compensating factors. But I'd say right out of the gate, we act as a, a pre-screener for Windermere. We're not the ones giving that final hire. So we use a general philosophy as if this is our own brokerage, if this is our own team and we were hiring for it, would this person deserve a second interview? And so that's what we do. Like right up front, we we basically pass on probably 50% of the people that come through. And and that 50% means that they are either in school or they're already licensed. So it, we're doing our owners a great service by saving them a ton of time and and doing what we do pretty well. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the, when you kind of describe the lead sources, most of them sounded like they were inbound. Uh, you know, kind of website leads coming in, a little bit of outbound. So maybe just talk about what are you doing kind of outbound? Because um, it seems like if you're hiring mostly experienced agents coming through the website and things like that isn't, you know, we don't typically hear people finding experience that agents that way. It's usually more. We've had some. That's not a lot. If, if yeah. we're talking about outbound, I mean, we're it's going to be the same as everybody else, right? We're going to yeah. um, run our trend graphics report or whatever type of data source you're using, broker metrics. And whether it's, you know, listening to what's going on in the street, if there's an office that's closing down, you know, that would be a hot source. Generally speaking, we will look for a agent profile that will benefit from our model. You know, maybe they've been in the business um, for whatever, under three years, under four years, their productions. Okay. They've proven themselves, but it's not really that great. Maybe they're at a discount broker. So our team will know 
okay, discount brokers, they're not going to have the same type of training resources, whatnot, just because they can't afford to provide those things. So you'd obviously have to pivot your pitch to whatever profile you're actually going after. If it was a, if it was more of a season agent luxury wise, you know, we'll say if they're at Compass or Sotheby's or even Cool Banker, we have a good pulse as far as what those um, brokerages charge. So obviously that's going to be a little bit more angle. You can get the same level of service, same tools, resources, but put an extra, you know, X dollar amount back in your, your, your pocket or use that for additional marketing to make more money or hire additional support staff with the, with that extra savings. So we just have to be kind of fluid and pivot and, and have a good idea as far as what do our competitors actually offer compared to what we offer, right. our value proposition. Okay. And when you're doing that outbound kind of outreach um, to those experienced agents that you've kind of, you know, that fit that profile that you mentioned, looking at in DMOS data and whatnot, whether it be trend graphics or, you know, broker metrics, realytics, um, how are you, to walk me through how you're getting, you know, from lead to kind of conversation. Um, is it, you know, when you're doing the outbound, is it, you know, kind of call, email, text, social media, some mix, you know, how many touches does it typically take to get a conversation started with people? How does that work? Um, it, yeah, it, it will. Ours does not include the the social media touch, although we're going to start doing that now that we've talked to you about what broker kit, your kind of your flow and whatnot. I yeah. like that. Um, ours is really going to be uh, email, email, text, email, text, call. Um, because again, it's that automation portion. And really, if they haven't scheduled an appointment with us, it, I guess yeah. if that's inbound, right? Um, if they haven't scheduled that uh, appointment with us, that's where it creates a task automated for us, which we'll pick up the phone and basically dial for them. Um, if it's if we're doing outbound stuff, um, we'll probably um, do start with an email and then it will be more of a follow-up call and text. Say, did you receive that email that we sent over to you? So it ends up being kind of a more of a warm follow-up call or right. text. Um, and, and again, kind of going back to it's a numbers game, you can only get so much information through those different data sources. So it, right. you know, you're, you're looking at finding that person that kind of fits what you're looking for at the right time. Maybe they just got in a fight with their, their broker or something happened. And, you know, let's say it's probably 2% of the people that we're reaching out to. So maybe at a hundred people that we'll reach out to, we're probably setting two appointments. Mm-hmm. It's a grind. And so back to, I mean, t- touching on the social media, we, we, we definitely recommend to our customers that they leverage that as part of these cadences. And partially because when you look over the, I mean, really over the last year and going into this year, it's getting harder and harder um, to get your email, you know, emails, calls and text delivered. I yeah. mean, there's a huge crackdown on, you know, because of like all the robocalling ro- robo spam that's happening yeah. on really just tightening kind of the screws on how to get things delivered and social media goes through and they will see it, right? They're much more like if you send something through LinkedIn, just almost because of the novelty factor, they're much more likely to see it than an email that you would send them these days. And it's always going to go through and you don't have to worry about it landing in the inbox. So, mm-hmm. so something to consider for those out there. Okay. Um, so say you get them on the phone. I mean, do you kind of qualify them on the phone before setting an appointment? How do you, do you just get them excited for the appointment? When do you do the actual kind of screening and qualification? Is it just, you know, start a conversation, get them on the phone, get them excited about it, and then have an appointment where you kind of do that screening? Like, how does that flow work? It For us, it's, again, it's very systematized. So it's them coming in, they they schedule the meeting obviously because they they fit kind of the minimum um, qualities that we're looking for, 
And then depending on the, the, I guess really depending on the actual company itself and where they're at in their career, we have what we call basically a snippet, which is essentially just a series of questions that we're looking to get answered that will tell us either about their business, their background, you know, what are their goals, some of their kind of historical um, achievements to get us a good idea. Um, and then from there, if, if we like them, then we will introduce them to um, one of our offices or multiple of our offices in their area. Okay. That, that call takes about 45 minutes. Oh, the, the initial kind of yeah. screening or qualification call. Okay, yep. great. Okay. And then the recruiters are setting that up. And then if, if someone's qualified, then they're setting up kind of the appointment. And is that, is that with who, who's that appointment with? Is it typically with like an office manager, a broker owner, or like how, who, who is that appointment typically with and how did they, how do you recommend they approach it? I guess. I recommend to them clearly speed to lead. Like that's for us is, and it's something that we don't do very well. You know, a lot of our um, owners, branch managers. So it's going to go typically to like an owner operator. It's going to go to a branch manager, unless it's a larger ownership group that has somebody that's handling their, their recruiting specifically. Typically, if that's the case, that's where um, most of probably the most success happens when you have something that's dedicated for that role because they understand that they're they're in most cases going to be compensated because of that. Um, then it probably goes to the owner operator because it's their office. They're you know they're vested. This is their livelihood, um, and then it probably goes to the branch manager. And I think almost a lot of times the branch managers will look at it as almost a burden that they have to take on a new person, put them through training again. Like if we're talking about newbies, um, surprisingly um, going back to kind of, we fail a lot and just the speed to lead. I could tell you numerous times where we've had literally people that would equal a hundred thousand dollars to these offices, not even get responded to in over a week. Um, And it's, it's sad, but it's also what separates each company, each office from each other, you know, like, we recognize who we're up against, you know, obviously coming from Keller Williams. Um, I know EXP is kind of the same way. They're, they understand the speed to lead philosophy. And it's not only speed to lead, but even once you set that appointment, that next appointment for them, it's, you know, how well do you articulate your value proposition? What is that experience like if they come into the office? You know, are you wowing them more than the other people that they're talking to? Um, and then obviously from there, you've done a great job on that. Hopefully you have the ability and the confidence to, to make an offer on that spot because you know your competitors are going to be doing it. But if you don't, if they're not ready, then obviously the fortune is in the follow-up, right? You got to keep on dripping, keep on staying in front of them and not just asking them to join your office, but continually following up with um, um, content, collateral, opportunities, education, whatever it is that speaks to where they're at in their career, um, which I think is probably a hard thing for um for a lot of people, just because, especially if you're trying to do this at volume, it's it's just like you're juggling a lot of hats. And so back to speed to lead, you know, do you have any kind of stats around that? Like, what is a good speed to lead? At what point does it start hurting you um, if you're not, you know, kind of getting back in, in touch with people? Like, what would you like to see in terms of, you know, kind of response on uh, a, a lead being hand off? And when, well, and actually, let me ask a question before that, because this sometimes comes up. You set an appointment is it basically sending them kind of the appointments already been set you're ask you know how quick did they reach out to kind of like maybe you know let 
you know, almost send them like a welcoming bell before the appointment versus just wait to the appointment? Like, what do you mean by that? So when they, so they wouldn't really get an invitation to set the appointment until they've gone through, like we call it a basically a quick assessment. Yeah. And based off of those quick assessment results, then basically get some congratulations, you know, yeah. we've seen your, you know, your results from your quick assessment. Let's get you scheduled for an interview and take the next step. Right. Um, that will, each one of these different phases will always be a combination of a couple of emails, a couple of texts. And then if it doesn't have the results, then we'll follow up with a call. Right. Um, and then once they schedule that appointment, same thing, email, follow up, text. So there's constant communication. Right. Um, but up until that point, you know, we are, I'd say, about the business with sitting down, getting the interview, um, making sure that we're not going to waste our, our offices, our owners' times. Yeah. And to me, um, you know, it's interesting the terms that you use are the terms from B2B sales. Um, yeah. And, you know, even though this is recruiting, it really is B2B sales because the agents have their own business, right? And yeah. you are a business trying to sell to them, essentially. And it's more of a B2B sales relationship than it is a recruiting. I mean, traditional recruiting is somebody, you know, submits a application on a job board and maybe they'll hear back from somebody in HR. Um, speed to lead is what matters in B2B sales, right? And typically there's a, you know, as teams get more sophisticated, they they kind of break into a specializations where there's kind of like a setter and a closer. So your your recruiters are essentially the setters and then the, yeah. you know, that owner is, is essentially the closer. And, uh, you know, certainly the setter speed to lead on anything inbound is super critical. I'm curious, once you've handed it to the closer, which is really going to be that owner or, or um, you know, branch manager, what, what do you, what, like, at, at what point does it become a liability that they're not kind of communicating and, and it's going to lead to drop off in their close rates of the, the qualified leads you're handing off to them, essentially? I think it impacts us negatively if it takes more than 30 minutes, but I just know that that's not realistic because yeah. these guys are doing right. their team meetings and have a hundred other things um, going on. Yeah. The ones that get it, I think that they're pretty good and probably will respond as soon as they see it to set that second appointment. Um, a lot of times they'll just CC us on it, the the invite. Um, and that would probably be within a couple hours. Um, otherwise I'd say for the majority um, same day response, you know, preferably six hours, not, not, not if it comes right. over in the morning, you're doing it at the end of the day, but by, by the afternoon, it just, it, to the recruit, it reflects how they're going to be serviced inside the office, right? Like they think that's the message that's going over to them. You know, is this person going to have the time for me? Well, you, you got to make sure that right out of the gate, they feel like you're getting serviced and they have your attention and you're excited to actually interview them for the next step. Yeah. And I've seen some stats. I, I, I hesitate to say the exact number, but and be, and this isn't specific to kind of real estate recruiting, but just B two B sales in general. Any inbound leads after five minutes, the close rate drops. I think by like forty percent. Yeah, it's it's. It, I think it's actually more than that because that's something I know yeah. for a fact from being at Zillow. Yeah, it, and that's everything we tried to cope agents to, and that was not B two B. It was B two C because right. you're getting people about the the uh, yeah. homes. I think it'd be worse than B2C if you wait. It, than it might be. Um, yeah. And it's it's unfortunate because we're in this instant gratification society now where everybody expects everything on demand. And that's, you know, it's not realistic in a lot of times, but you gotta you, you kind of have to operate under that mindset that these people right. are expecting now, right? And not only that, but if you have them warmed up and excited about something, 
why would you want to, why would you want to lose that opportunity to speak to them um, when they're already excited? Right. And, or why would you want to open the door for them to reach out and speak to another one of your competitors? Yeah. Time cl- kills all deals. Yeah. Right. And this yeah. is a deal you're trying to close essentially. So, yeah. okay. So we talked about kind of agents and recruiting them. I mean, um, you've obviously staffed up a team of recruiters. Many of our kind of listeners are curious about adding kind of recruiters in and, and operationalizing it. I mean, you're kind of at a scale beyond most out there. Um, what do you look for in recruiters? Like when you're trying to hire a recruiter, what makes a good recruiter, especially in a kind of process oriented, scaled environment like that? Very personal people, organized. If you have real estate experience, that's great because you understand the language. If you don't, it's okay. You can kind of get through that. Um, for me, like if, if I'm recruiting for somebody now, I'm actually looking at what have they done high volume recruiting because that's a whole different animal when you're, when you're, you know, think about, and it's funny, like every time I bring on somebody, like they don't quite understand like how we don't remember who we spoke to yesterday. Cause we have all these extra la- layers to protect us, you know, recording the calls and transcribing it and stuff like that. Because, you know, for the first week you can handle that. But beyond that, you're just like, uh, you're almost having the same conversation a hundred times a month. Um, and that gets hard. So high volume recruiters is something that I definitely look for, incentivizing them on a tiered based level. So the more recruits that they get, the more money that, that they make. It is, uh, in a way, high high pressure. I don't want to say high pressure sales, but it is intense because every month, as soon as it closes out, you're starting all over again from scratch. I've done that, so I know that that feeling, you know, in it. Uh, hero to zero. Like, yeah, exactly. Pretty much every role in sales. Pretty yep, much. and it starts right back over. For us, it's also, it's, it's beyond just a recruiter because, for example, um, Megan handles my Western Washington and Oregon territories. And she has in that area about 140 offices just between that small two areas. Then Timory has about the same. She probably has about 160 offices, but it's Eastern Washington and then the other 10 states that we have. So it goes far beyond just that recruiting role because they have to also act as an account executive. They have to understand, you know, what are they looking for? Because each office is a little bit different. Our role is really kind of tough because we're we're working with so many different franchise owners that have different wants and needs. And part of how we handle that is when they come on board, we have an intake form for them that they fill out. So we can actually be reviewing that while we're on a call for somebody in that area and talk to the frequency of their weekly meetings or monthly meetings. How often do they get together on social get togethers? You know, is culture really important for you? Well, if it's an office that doesn't have monthly social get togethers, okay, that might not be the best office for you. Maybe we'll put you at the one that does it bi-weekly social get togethers, you know? Um, so things like that really helped us kind of push through And obviously this didn't all happen at once. This is something that's kind of evolved over time. You know, Megan, I worked with her at KW as well. So she came, she understood that. Um, She was our onboarder at KW. Both of my other gals, well, one of them came from recruiting, another one came from real estate. So the real estate component, I think is the one thing that I learned. Um, You you can learn that, especially from a recruiting standpoint, how we built this. Um, And I'm almost thinking at this point, um, how we might scale it from here on out is these three recruiters will actually become more of a team leader and we'll start building teams underneath them because the demand that we're getting now, we can't do it with the current model. Sure. And so what, uh, like, 
what kind of targets or um, like activity targets and results do you set for a kind of a recruiter? And it probably depends on if they're working inbound or outbound or some kind of mix, but like how many, how many calls a day or just how many calls, emails, whatever activity targets you have a day or a week, which leads to how many appointments, which leads to how many kind of qualified leads that are handed off. Like what do those numbers look like for kind of like. We track activities as far as um, emails, basically creating notes, calls, meetings held. And then text, but our text, we actually keep separate. Um, but for a full-time recruiter, we're looking at about 2,500 um, combined activities per month. If you're, if you're looking for, or if it's a, more of an outbound role, that's actually going to go up to about 10,000. Um, if we are taking into consideration text messaging, we're looking at a total of about, um, on average, 2,000 text messages per month. On top of those, like if you're uh, if you're um, managing mostly inbound or just focusing on your appointments, yeah. so your total with text and those would be about forty five hundred activities per month. Okay, and do you um, you know t- texting and in addition to kind of the social is a way to cut through the noise, right? And it, it's yeah. got pretty high response rates these days. But do you use it at all outbound before you talk to people, or is it more just kind of following up and scheduling and you know, scheduling appointments and follow up once you've talked to them. Like, how do you, how do you use it? We, we do outbound, like we kind of have designated roles. So our VAs will do most of our outbound and we track that, like they have unique appointment setting links. So we can check obviously because they're compensated for their own appointment set. So when they come through, we can track every month, how many they've set through these designated links. But they're at the end of the day, like they're, they're doing the activity base. They're setting appointments for the girls. So at the end of the day, like I view my role, I'm doing my job is if I can keep their calendars full without having to have them um, go out and prospect. You said it earlier, like the reality is, is you have people that are good at prospecting, you have good at people that are converting. And, right. and it's, I'd rather have um, our people focus on converting, winning them over on the interview and yep. let everything else just set those appointments for them. And you mentioned kind of three recruiters. So those are effectively the screeners that are almost a closer, even though they're yeah. handing it off to the, you know, kind of the broker owner that's trying to close them. Um, how many how many of those VAs are feeding or prospecting to kind of feed the calendars for those three people? So one of my recruiters just went full time recruiting last um, March because we took on another company. Um, so sh- that's where we jumped up. We were we were hovering right around probably 200 interviews per month for the two recruiters. She was helping um, set appointments for the recruiters, but she was doing some overflow. Like it, yeah. what she would handle was if anybody came in through our system that was over 60 days out in real estate school, she'd handle those and nurture those um, relationships and take those on as her own. Since we took on this new company, um, that's where we went up to about 300. She's doing it full time. So we have basically two VAs. Um, that were setting appointments, prospecting, all like she also, and I, I will say there's Thank probably you. one thing that I learned from, from doing this the third time around my first two gals, my, you know, my general philosophy was set their appointments for them. I'm doing my job. Um, I didn't put enough emphasis on teaching them how to prospect their own early on. And so right. that's where I learned the third time around with Renee, she needed to prospect for the girls, set the appointment so that if things ever dried up on our end, she had the skill set and the ability to do that. So she is doing that um, now. And I think that she she said, um, 
I want to say she probably set 40 appointments on her own last month. I think um, we probably set 34. So she actually set more um, okay. than what we could actually set because it was a brand new relationship. And then our VAs um, set like another 30. So that okay. would be about 100 right there. So when I listen to these numbers, I'm trying to kind of calculate this down to by day and week. So in essence, you're saying the recruiters are each having 100 appointments a month, yeah. which is they're on, they're on average 20 days a month. So that's like five a day. Yeah. Um, so they're roughly five a day. Yeah. And then they're doing most of the leads are coming from or most of those appointments are coming from the VAs. Some of them they're generating themselves. Yes. OK. And then the lead. So then that's 300 appointments being set. Like what percent of those are being set? Out of the 300 appointments a month, the two VAs, how many appointments are they setting? So if I, I, I kind of have to back this up because I've just recently changed a bunch of things. Right. Um, they set 28 just for uh, Renee last month, prospecting their the, just themselves outbound. I also have them doing all the follow-up tasks. So if, if a person's come through our system and they haven't set an appointment like after seven days, yeah. All those tasks then get kicked back to them for them to do that follow up to yeah. try and kind of last ditch effort, set an appointment. And so um, those they probably did 100 appointments across the three um, reps just because they're that extra touch. But those are already inbound leads that we've already essentially paid for or generated. So it's right. a little bit different. Sure. Well, in real estate, though, people and just because people submitted something through the website, we know that they don't necessarily show to appointments, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not without not without follow up. So. Yeah. Um, cool. I mean, I I think that's. I mean, I think those are most of my questions around kind of the recruiters. I mean, maybe just like a more general question. You know, you've been in the business, um, you know, a long time. You've learned a lot. You've progressed. You know, for the people kind of earlier in their career that want to be kind of where you are. In the future, just if, if you could kind of, you know, go back in time, what would you do differently? You know, what do you know now that you didn't know then that you feel it could like accelerate your your progress, basically? If, if you're going into an organization and you're looking to generate high growth, just because you're looking for it doesn't mean necessarily that the, the own, especially in a franchise organization like that's that's a it's a harder animal to manage because they're all individual owners of their own operations. So I think that that's something that um, I just was a little puzzled from where you're coming in, you're, you're building this team to help growth of their organizations, their offices, and you're more excited about it than they actually are. Um, so I think that that's something if I was to do it over again, um, I probably just from this life lesson, I would, I would, I would investigate that much further, much more in depth. Just because you want something doesn't mean other people that you're working with want the same thing. Well, and I, I mean, one of the things I've observed uh, being kind of in this space and um, a lot of people, frankly, nobody's really coached them on how to do it, which is kind of why we're asking these questions or, or why it matters and what the what the value is to them and and how you know, what is the value relative to spending their time going and doing something else, like going out and selling homes themselves? Like, how are they better off by kind of doing this? Well, it's scalability. Um, I mean, that's you, 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 at the end of the day, we all have yeah. the, like the one common denominator is hours in the day. Yeah. You can only maximize that so far. So, and, and I guess like that's almost where my frustration comes from is like you're in business. This is like basic business one-on-one. Like how do you scale? Well, you have to, you have to basically right. multiply your efforts and the only yeah. way you can do that is to increase the size of your, your brokerage or increase the production of your brokerage. Right. You know, 
And it's, it's proven that the fastest way to do that is to increase your headcount. Yeah. Well, and I would say not just even as a broker. I mean, when you kind of know the numbers and know how to run them, I think there's very few opportunities out there that are as lucrative um, compared to in terms of ROI than actually scaling a team as, as a broker. Um, When I, when, when I talk to kind of, and I don't think, and you know, in a franchise model, I don't, this probably isn't part of the training. Um, I just haven't seen it out there, but you know, when I, when I ask brokers, you know, what is agent worth, you know, they're typically going to tell me somewhere between five and 15,000 a year, and they're going to stay three to five years on average. Those are pretty, pretty big numbers. And when you build a scaled operation, um, you know, your cost per agent that you've recruited, when I see people at scale, they're usually telling me it's costing them on average to, to recruit an agent somewhere between 500 and a thousand dollars. That, that ratio of what you're spending compared to what you're getting is yeah. very high, right? So if it's, if you take 10,000, you know, the average agent is bringing in 10 grand a year for three years, 30 grand, you're spending 500 to a thousand to get 30. That's between a 30 X and a 60 X return. Most people just don't know. There's like almost nothing else in life that you could spend your time on that would have a higher payoff than that. Yeah. Right. I talked to one of our owners uh, probably two weeks ago and he was showing me his numbers and they've taken a lot of our recruits, you know, they're doing it the right way. And she said, you know, I spent $60,000 with you so far. And my agents that you've sent over to us have made us 340,000. He's just like, yeah, I don't get it. Like, why are people not just all over this every single day? It's like, I, I would put my money into this all day long if I could get this return anywhere else. Yeah. Well, and it kind of begs the question when people aren't following up or they say they're busy, what are they busy on? And do they really understand kind of what's at stake here? Cause that really is right. Um, but it's, but it all makes more sense when you get it at scale, yeah. right? It's hard to see that when you're, maybe you're a broker owner starting off with like, you know, 20, 25 agents, right. And you're trying to put in the time yourself. Um, but that's, that's kind of why it makes sense to build this, you know, this capability because it will well, have a really it, high it, return. The thing that I kind of get fascinated by is, is the wide spectrum of success. Like you can have one office that's taken 11 agents and all those 11 agents have closed two, two deals each, right? That's a big success for them because they've, they've paid for their recruit with us and they've all, you know, well, I guess it depends on the market, but for the most part, you're at least going to be a half cap in every market pretty much if you're closing two deals. If, um, if I look at a different office that's taken one recruit, but that one recruit, you know, every year since they've been brought on is closing, 15, 20 deals. It's just totally different levels of success, but it's still a great amount of success. You know, and right. it's, just, it's all over the board. Sure. Absolutely. Either one of those options is a win. Well, good deal. Well, uh, thanks for uh, kind of um, letting me kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent there. That's that's something that's of interest to me. And, um, you know, it's good for people to hear those numbers too, what it looks like at scale. So thanks for kind of sharing that. Um, I mean, I think Tyler, that was kind of it for my questions for today. Um, where can I f- our listeners find you online? Uh, probably LinkedIn. I think it's just Tyler Simmons on LinkedIn would probably be the best way. Or if you need to email me or want to email me, just tyler.simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-D-S at windermere.com. All right. Well, thanks, Tyler, for joining us today. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Um, please do join us for the next episode. Um, and think about what Tyler talked about today and how you can apply some of those tips to grow your business. Thanks so much and have a great day. 
If you enjoyed our show, please add a rating for us on Apple or Spotify podcasts. And be sure to come back next time to hear more strategies that will help you grow your business. Until then, this is Jim Turner. And don't forget, you need to put some of these tips to work today.